Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Why do we tend to avoid the question of why when it comes to our personal and financial lives? In over 20 years of being an advisor, I've learned that financial planning is more about feelings than numbers, and no expert epitomizes this point more than Carl Richards. For 10 years, Carl was the creator of the Sketch Guy column, appearing weekly in the New York Times. Carl, a certified financial planner as well, now works with advisors such as myself to help break down complex financial concepts into easy-to-understand ideas that we can take action on on behalf of our families. Carl emphasizes throughout our conversation that if security exists at all, it is a feeling, not a number. The good news from Carl's standpoint is this means we can have some control over it. The bad news, this means it's up to us to learn how. But how do we learn about money and these feelings around it when no one has taught us? First, Carl points out, we largely talk around money instead of about it. When we go to talk about money, it's suddenly very emotional. We expect it to be rational, but it quickly ends up in the realm of feelings and we say, I'm never going to do that again. As Carl suggests, we need to ask questions, clarify the conversations, and don't calculate, but listen. Please enjoy my conversation with Carl Richards. Carl Richards, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thanks, Paul. Super excited to chat with you today. And just for my audience, um, I think this is maybe the second or third time we've actually, I guess, virtually met. Um, but I just want people to know, um, you know, I've had my firm now for 11 years. I started my firm the, the same day that my triplets were born, December 9th, wow. 2010. But yeah. you have been um, one of the biggest supporters of my growth and um, without getting too emotional, I just want to say thank you because most people don't even realize that. And you might not have even realized that, but I think a lot of advisors in this community that you've helped build probably share that same sentiment where we've been reading um, your work and following your work for years. And um, it doesn't, for me personally, it does not get lost on me. Um, what a integral part you have been, whether you realize it or not of mm. my family and the growth of my firm, Tama, over these last 10 years. So, uh, oh, Amazing. Thank you. Thank so you. I, I think the, the best place to start um, for, the, for my audience that may not know who you are is to walk through your background a little bit and especially that amazing, I think it was 10-year run or 10-plus year run that you had as the quote-unquote sketch guy for the New York Times. Yeah. Talk to us about your background and, and how that happened and, and what the sketch guy column was all about. 
Yeah, no. So, I mean, the shorter version of background, I mean, I got into the, the sort of big, if you speak broadly, like the financial services industry or the, even maybe the financial advice industry, I got into it a, a little bit by accident in college. You know, I went to apply for a job that I didn't really know much about and ended up making it through the interview and, and got the job. And, um, and then, you know, one thing led to another. And one day, you know, I found myself working at a big, um, a big, a big brokerage firm really that, that was part of a bank and I had my own clients and I had this experience where um, I was sitting across the table from clients who were really, really smart. Yeah, one of them, I remember who it was. One of them was an ER doctor. The other one was a technology sales rep. And we were trying to make, a re- we were trying to make an important decision about money. And there was a concept that I thought was really important that they should understand. And I was trying to explain it. And I thought I was really good at explaining things. I, I sort of, I've always kind of prided myself on my ability to make things a little simpler or clearer or get to the essence of things. And I was just getting blank stares despite like all the efforts. And, and out of an act of really an act of desperation, I'd never really done this before. Um, I, like, I don't have a, a background in design or, or I certainly have never taken an art class. Um, there was a whiteboard in the conference room I was using. And I remember just standing up and saying, no, like this. And I drew like a, a box and an arrow and a square or something, or a, a box and an arrow and a circle. And it was just describing like money's going to go from this account to this account. Or, I can't remember exactly what the context was, but I do remember that drawing it, like I remember very specifically the mood changing, like, like suddenly there was this, and they even said, oh, oh, okay, I get it now. And I, I didn't make any grand conclusion out of that, but I just, I, I sort of got a little addicted to that moment, the moment where something gets represented in a way that makes sense to people. And again, keep in mind, like these were super smart clients, like all of our clients, all of your clients, it's, it wasn't their fault. It was my fault, my inability to explain it. So, so this drawing of it, um, you know, I tried it again. And then the next time that happened, I was like, oh, like this. And I, this time I did it on a piece of paper. And I, it wasn't very long after a client asked to take the piece of paper home. Like, hey, can I take this home? And I was like, well, I'll redraw it. And they're like, no, 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 no. Just, I like the messy one. And I was like, gosh, that's really odd. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, a couple more experiences. And, and, and then I'm... I remember a client calling after a meeting and saying, hey, that thing you drew on the whiteboard, would you draw it? Could you scan it, like scan it and email it to us so, we can, can, so I can talk with my spouse about it? And when I saw it digitally, there was this moment where I was like, oh, that's interesting. I guess I could do this. If I could send it to one person, I guess I could send it to other people. So I started this, I mean, I've just described like two years, um, but the next year I started putting them up on, up online on this little website, this little blog back in the day called Behavior Gap. And um, I did that for a while and it was pretty much crickets, you know, like my, I always joke, my mom and my sister were the only ones reading it. And I, I found out later that my sister was lying, like it was just my mom. <laughs> but one thing led to another and I saved the email because people don't believe this because I have no writing background. I have no journalist background. I, I, one thing, and I'm from Utah, right? Like 
one thing led to another, and I got an email from the personal finance section of the New York Times, Ron Lieber, who I think is the best kind of journalist, finance, personal finance journalist on the planet. Yeah, and we talk about learned, Ron a lot on the on this show for the books that he's written, especially about college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, given your audience, like with the kid, the focus on kids, the opposite of spoiled, and what to pay for college. It's great. So I get this email from Ron saying, "Hey, I love these. Do you want to do them for us?" And and I was like, I knew enough to say yes to that. So <laughs> so we did like a what was initially we were just going to do like a week where he he called it ask an expert. He was going to ask me a question. I was supposed to answer it with a drawing every, every day for a week. And at the end of that week, we we're like, Hey, do you want to keep going? And you know, that led to every week, week, every week for 10 years, I had a goal to make it 10 years. I mean, I didn't have that goal. I, about three years in, I was like, okay, you know what? I could, I could see myself doing this for a decade and made it almost exactly to a decade um of every week so that's how that happened it was super fun it's amazing and and that's the thing is like those uh those sketches are like the gift that keeps on giving because uh we can look at those and almost naturally or quickly naturally understand like what the point you're trying to get across is which is amazing so where I want to kind of dig into some of the specifics around you know the conversation with you today is you know, we tend to avoid questions of why when it comes to our money, whether it's investing, spending, mm-hmm. or even saving for that matter. And my question is, why do we, why do we avoid this question of why? I mean, I know for me, I think I know personally why I do it and why maybe some of the clients I have struggle with that. And even, and more so people I meet for the first time, why it's so hard because I, I am very empathetic when somebody picks up the phone and calls me for the first time that that is a major move for them to, to pick up the phone and, and talk to, for the most part, which could be a complete stranger and me about their entire life, their financial situation. It does not get lost on me. I'm, and I let them know that when I first have a conversation with them that you know this is a, a, a huge step for them. Yeah, I- I, I think this is one of those things like, and, and just to clarify, like when, when we talk about asking why, you know, normally let's just maybe with just the investments, cause that's really easy, but this applies to budgeting, like it applies to everything, but normally you'd think of like, Oh, I got this portfolio. It's this mix of things. And I started asking people like, why is your money invested the way it is? And the answer and it would be interesting for your listeners just to think about this before, but before you met Paul, why was your money invested the way it was? And normally the, the answer is like, well, I read about it in a magazine or I, I did some research or, or, you know, maybe my, my brother-in-law told me my mom mentioned this, you know, and like the really smart people say things like I read it in the economist. They always whisper it like the economist, like it's a secret. Um, or I saw it on CNBC or somebody at the club told me. Right. So, yeah. but that's that. And that's normal. Like that's how we have kind of thought about money. And the same thing with spending. Like, why do you spend? Well, I like I buy things and I don't like we, we, and I, this this idea of understanding will wait because the only right answer to why is the money invested the way it is the only correct answer is 
my money's invested this way to give me the greatest chance of meeting my goals. Um, but this is one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it because you're like, well, of course, but we're never trained that way. Like we don't, it's not our fault really. Like nobody taught us unless you're re- unique, like for the most part, and this isn't actually just an American problem. It's, it's like I've spent time all over the world having this conversation and this is a human problem. For the most part, we aren't trained to have conversations about money, period, let alone understand that it's not a math problem. Like what we think is it's a spreadsheet, a math problem. Well, it's, it, it's what gets you up in the morning often. It's what keeps you awake at night. Money, unfortunately, is the air we breathe because we, like, especially in America, right? Like life insurance, health insurance, you know, your job, like every kid gets sick. I remember, I remember a friend of mine. um, Yeah, so crazy. A friend of mine, her husband was in an accident climbing up in the Teton mountain range, which isn't far from here in Jackson, near Jackson hole. And hospitals anywhere aren't aren't cheap, obviously, but hospitals in these like remote mountain towns can be even more expensive. And so he gets hurt. He's in the hospital. And I mean, yeah, gets hurt pretty seriously hurt. He's in the hospital. They had recently made a decision to leave their, his, stable job to start a business. And in the mix of starting the business, they just hadn't really thought about health insurance. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you just put yourself in the, you know, like, oh, we're starting yeah. a business. We're going to go, oh yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. You know? And I remember talking to her like, yeah, it almost is emotional for me because the, the, the right after is my husband alive is how am I going to pay for this? You know, like, like a reasonable concern this is going to be a couple hundred thousand dollars, probably given the injury, like how am I? So that's an easy example of money is not about spreadsheets and calculators. So when we, I think the reason to answer your question, the reason we don't talk about why is simply because no one has taught us how to do it. And once you start to see this, you can't unsee it because now you'll start to say things like, oh, that's really interesting. Why do we spend money on that thing? And, and yet we're saying over here, we don't have money for this thing. Which one's more important? Oh, you know what? Going to the movies with friends. This is, an, uh, sorry, I'll give you one more example. I remember when my wife and I started seeing this, and we used to go, you know, maybe twice a month, we'd go out to dinner with friends and then we'd go to a movie. And one night we were like, we were driving home from the movie. We were like, why, why do we do that? Like, well, we do that because we enjoy good friends and we enjoy connecting with them. We're like, okay, so if we enjoy good friends and we enjoy connecting with them, why do we go to a noisy restaurant and then a movie? Like, what if instead we bought ingredients, had them at the house, and we spent a couple hours preparing the meal together and eating it? Well, it turns out that's a little cheaper. That wasn't really the point, but it, it's a yes, yes. It's like it was a little cheaper and it 
fulfills the why more. So you suddenly start thinking, because look, my goal for people I work with is not to cut spending necessarily. It's to, it's to ruthlessly cut spending on things we don't really care about so that we can lavishly spend on the things we do, like kids, education, experiences with people we love. So that's, that's what happens when you start asking why. You start looking around saying, gosh, I've only been doing this because I saw it on Instagram. You know, and, and that feels really juvenile, like high school kids, but human adults aren't any less prone to that experience than the kids are. We just don't really realize it. Yeah, I have this, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but I, and I know my audience has, and I know uh, Teresa, my wife, she listens to the show, I think most of the time. <laughs> I tell her this all the time, like the checkbook doesn't lie. Show me where you spend money. And, and that'll tell me what you value. And if you want to change what you value, then your money, your, how you spend money needs to come along with the, for the ride as well and change. I agree. I think, I think only I'd add to that is the checkbook and the calendar never lie. Right. So if you, yeah. if you show me, show me how you spend your time and your money. And it's interesting too, right? I don't really, it, it's such an interesting experiment and we run from this stuff. But I'm just suggesting, like, don't run from it. Like, like embrace the kind of the cognitive dissonance that will be that you'll experience when you actually look. How are we spending our time and our money compared to how we like? If you like, if you ask me what I value, I, I can tell you over and over and over because it's on the top of my one-page financial plan. It says time with my family, mainly outside, and service in my community and my church. I tell you that over and over. In fact, most people who know me, if you said what's important to Carl, they would tell you that. Yeah, I can tell you that because you've told yeah. me so many times. Then if you look, sometimes when I look at how I spend my time, I, I'm just flat out embarrassed by how much that doesn't match with what I say is important to me. And that's painful. And that pain causes if 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 dealt at the right time and the right dosage causes me to say okay i'm gonna make a little tweak like i'm making an adjustment right now i'm gonna spend more time with my son because he's home for maybe a couple more months right like what am i gonna do how well if i ran from that pain i I would never have the opportunity to get more alignment and i think that experience of alignment misalignment alignment misalignment like just recalibrating I think that I think that's called being human, um, and, and and I think that's how we. I think that's what real financial planning is about: is that alignment over time. So yeah, I think I think that's really important. That that's why I think it's important to be thinking about and having conversations about, and even building tools to evaluate why and are you aligned? Is your use of time and money, energy and attention, time, money, energy and attention? Is that aligned with what you, what's actually important to you? So I, I think that actually runs really great into this, this note I wrote down is financial planning is more about feelings than numbers. And you recently, I, I know you emailed this out recently, this, this sketch where you, you did sketch this out. And in, that, in the body of that email, you noted, I know people who have more money than they will ever need but are totally insecure. And I know people who have almost nothing, but are totally secure. This, the conclusion this forces me to draw is that if security exists at all, it's a feeling 
not a number. And I think for the last, I'd say, four years, this, this idea, this concept is where I've been really getting uncomfortable with myself, but having these conversations and trying to get the families I work with uncomfortable thinking about, you know, not just the, the, the numbers, what, what financial planning is. Yes, there's a certain component that's foundational. That's the number crunching of what we do. But the real value that you kind of just alluded to, the value that we talk about in the society of advice all the time is the, is the planning, is the having these conversations that, you know, two people, partners, husband, spouse, whatever, have probably never had before. And here I am trying to interject this concept into their family. So important. Yeah, I mean, of course, and you're a good example of this, like they're like a real financial planner is a technical rock star. Like, of course, we should be better with spreadsheets and calculators than anybody else. Of course. But it feels to me like that's just table stakes at this point, because again, like the simplest version of this is where my career started is like, you can design the best, technically the best portfolio ever created. And one behavioral mistake, really a decade, like if, if, if you get scared out of the market at, at the, uh, the wrong time, right? Or if you get excited and buy more than you should at the wrong time, like if you just one behavioral mistake a decade and, and you may as well have just had the money under the mattress. Well, that applies to planning too. Like, let me give you an example. Um, there, there was a couple... Uh, trying to think of which one there. So there's a, a, a couple, um, I'm just trying to change their names on the fly. John, we'll just call them John and Jill. And John called once and was like, it's like, man, I don't get it. It's dri- This is driving me crazy. My wife will not stop talking about how bad she needs a new car. Second, like, I just don't get it because nothing else in our lives matches this. Like we, we're not terribly concerned about living in the fanciest house, the fanciest neighborhood. Right? Like she's never too worried about like nice clothes, but never too worried about brand names or whatever. Like it's just, it's just, but there's just this new car thing that won't like, we've got a great car. I don't understand. And he's like, and it's getting to the point. Like we it's like our biggest source of tension. It, it sort of gets mentioned passive aggressively. And I, I, I react and, and we're like, well, gosh, that's interesting. I wonder if you should just have like, what's behind that? Like, what's the why? And so he called a couple of weeks later and said, Carl, you're not going to believe this. But I just, in a moment of like, like I eked out some like empathy and some ability to like actually ask a question and listen. So I'm not very good at that. And I just said, hey, this seems really important to you. You know, but he said, I was, you know, look, I was a little mad, but I was like, look, I don't get it. I don't get it. This this seems really important to you. What? I don't understand why you need a new car. And she was like, John, listen, my dad, we always had broken down, beat up, unreliable cars. And growing up, I remember the car breaking down in front of the middle school when I got dropped off. He's like, I remember being on, we lived in the country. I remember being on back roads when the car wouldn't start and having to walk. 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean new. I meant reliable. And suddenly you can, you can actually, I mean, I can feel it every time I tell that story. The empathy that opens up. Yeah. You know, like you're all of a sudden, like there was no space for empathy. You're like, what, 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 what? And then there's all of a sudden this thing where you just understand, well, that to me is these deeper discussions about like what's behind it. I mean, I could tell you hundreds of stories. Let me just tell you one more real quickly. There was a, a senior, senior level, CEO level. This is another really, another um, couple experience. And one, one couple, one side of the couple who didn't like to pay attention to money too much. I'm not going to tell you which gender. Um, and it's probably opposite of what you think. But one, one side of this, sorry, it's probably opposite of what you would traditionally think. Um, one, one spouse, they, they had built this beautiful house, vacation home in Hawaii. And one spouse was like adamant that they get a new vacation home. And I was hearing this story from the other spouse. Like they're absolutely adamant that we buy a second, second vacation home, another, another vacation home, but we can't afford another vacation home. We've already got this beautiful place in Hawaii. And, and this was becoming a huge fighting point. And they actually had a meeting with their financial planner and decided just to ask. And it was the spouse that didn't really want to pretend, or at least seem to be disinterested in money that was like, are you kidding me? Of course I know that we can't have a second one. I haven't been saying a second one. I've been saying a different one. Do you want me to tell you the truth why? Because every time when we built that house and every time we've been to that house, you were in a massive period of stress running your business. And all I and the kids remember is you being grumpy and yelling at us at the house. And I'm trying to give you a new chance to start again. And of course, you can feel it like, oh, oh, of course, right? Of course. And she's like, they said, of course, we need to sell the Hawaii house so that we can buy a new one to give you a new start. So that's, those are some of the examples of that when, one. That one actually hits really home for me because I've things right now with it's been a challenging time with our four kids right now. And, yeah. and Teresa has been trying to have this conversation with me and we don't have the we don't have the vacation house in Hawaii. But, yeah. but there's there's been a lot of um, uh, turmoil. Um, you know, I'm just getting through tax season right now, but you know, but you look over the last three or four years and the, and the tremendous growth that I've had at the firm with, with Tama is that, you know, you never, you never stop, Paul, you never, you never slow down to, to your, to point of your story, to take and smell the roses. Well, Hey Paul, let me just mention, so everybody's listening. This is just a chance for me to say something to Paul. <laughs> you can listen in. <laughs> and this would be actually, I'm sure everybody listening relates. But I'm, uh, look, we had four young kids. I was just talking about this yesterday. When I, when I started my firm, I had four young kids. I think they were 11, nine, seven, and three. And my wife and I were just talking about this yesterday because somebody in a podcast interview asked me about that. And we're like, wait, you left a stable, big firm with health insurance and a 401k to start your own firm with? And I was like, yeah. So I, I and I made that mistake too. And I think we all 
do if we don't get checked at the door. And that's why a great spouse is awesome to say, hey, and all I can say is, and this is back to the conversation, what, like, what profit a man, <laughs> right, to gain everything and lose their own relationship with their family? And, I, and I, I think if we just all remember, like I just had this conversation with a, another friend of mine who has, again, like you referenced in that email, more money than I'll ever know what to do with. I just recently, my daughter is 23, our second daughter, asked if I would go on spring break with her. Like she called and said, I'd like to spend spring break with you. And I was like, whoa, when you're 23, I know when your 23 year old daughter in college says, I'd like to spend spring break, you say yes. And so we drove from here to Baja. We camped the whole way. We surfed on remote beaches by ourselves, never saw anyone. Like the whole thing was amazing. My friend who actually offices close to me, um, who has more money than he'll ever need. And it says he's retired and works 80 hours a week. Um, said to me, oh, like, that'd be nice. I wish I could afford to do that. And like, balance sheet wise, he's 20 times more money than I do. Um, he, and he, in another conversation said to me, you know, it seems like you should be a little more focused on building intergenerational wealth. And I, I remember, I like, I was so upset at, you know what? Upset's not the right word. So sad at the idea that for what build intergenerational wealth for and say no to my 23 year old daughter going on spring break what kind of wealth did we build on remote beaches in baja just the two of us are on a fire so that's that's back to this whole conversation like why that's the question that i think i just and you know what's interesting to all the listeners like if you're married or have a partner you're making these decisions jointly You've been given permission right now because of what's gone on the last couple of years. You've been given more permission than you've ever had. I've been hearing these conversations in coffee shops, overheard in the airport, people saying, you can look at each other right now and say, why are we doing this? What really matters here in a way that you've never been able to do before? At least we've sort of been given an opening. And so that those are some stories as to why I think that matters. Well, I think... You just hit on this personal journey that that I feel like I've been on for the last at least two years, maybe three years, because I think it started before COVID. Is defining what is what is enough? Like, what does that mean? The word enough, and yeah. I, I think you know, I personally have gone through. I'm going through this. Have gone through it for the last few years, but I saw it more and more with with my clients as well. And it didn't, it, to your point, it didn't matter what, you know, what their level of wealth was, what their socioeconomic level was, but I just, I just saw over and over, and maybe this is my own bias, <laughs> you know, p- putting it out there. It's just, I think people are just struggling with what is enough? Like, how do I define it? And so, to me, that was, that was, this is like one of the hot button issues. Like I wanted, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you and, and, and bring this idea up to you about how do we, how do we get there? Like, how do we define enough? Like, it's the, the real honest answer. And then I'll riff on it a bit is I don't know. And, and, and anybody who, tells you that they know and that's 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 why this is so hard 
is we so badly want a rule of thumb and personal finance is full of rules of thumb. And yeah, I want a formula. Should, <laughs> yeah. You should, you should have six months of emergency savings and you should have 10 times your salary. And like, and the, the problem is none of those answers are personal enough. And I think the only way to figure out it, well, so a couple of things we do know if, if you feeling secure with money is generated around, I'll, I'll feel secure as soon as I have enough. No amount of money will be enough. Like it just yeah. won't. If you're insecure with money, more money won't solve that problem. It's a different problem. And that problem is more treated with, you know, it's more of a spiritual problem, a therapy, a psych, and I'm not embarrassed at all to say therapy, right? Like, like right. It, that, that's, and those things, and, and, and by the way, welcome to the club. Um, because we were all kind of taught that way, right? Like it's embedded in the, our basic DNA in this country, at least, right? And, and more broadly than that, even that if we just stockpile enough, we'll, we'll feel secure. And, and I think for most people listening to this, I'm not talking about like, where's my next meal coming from? That's a different discussion. Right. Um, and, and to be honest, actually, I'm not even sure that that's a different discussion, but I'll, we'll, we can say that for another, another time. Because I know people who don't know where their next meal is coming from, and they're more secure than my buddy with $34 million in his bank, right? And so- That's they, the amazing thing about this journey is like, like you, you know people on both sides of that coin. So do I. Yeah. No, I was just reading, you know, somebody as crazy as, uh, as is his name? Tony, yeah. Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. you know, he just released something where he's, he's, he's talked to the 50th, well, 50th wealthiest, 50 of the wealthiest people in the world. And he said like two of them were happy, you know, and, and largely I've seen this over and over and over. So if you're insecure on money, more money won't solve that problem. We do know that to be true. And, and, so we say, okay, well, what will solve that problem? And I, I think you look more in the, you know, psychological slash spiritual stuff. Then we also have all the wisdom traditions pointing at the idea that like, it's not about like, you think of wisdom traditions, like the, what Jesus taught, you know, How, what, why, why would you build a, it's almost like dripping with sarcasm. What person would build a barn, fill it up and then build another one? How crazy, you know, and the lilies in the field, you know, they're not even Solomon in his temple where it was as beautiful and the lilies don't even think about tomorrow. So, so I know enough. So then how do we actually start? I think we just start, we, we start realizing, first of all, we've got to get comfortable with the idea that uncertainty is reality. Like we don't know, we can make... And there's like, this is, this is not me just with some weird California woo-woo ideas. Like there's literature around this in, especially in complexity theory. Like we humans are, we live in a complex adaptive environment. And both of those words are really important and we, we don't have to spend time now, but, but when you're in a complex adaptive environment, one thing that's important to know is adaptive means when Whenever you inter- your your interaction with the system 
changes the system, right? So like if you buy this, the system changes. If you sell this, the system changes. If you take this money out of your bank account, the system changed. So complex adaptive system. The only way to navigate, and there's tons of research on this, the only way to navigate a complex adaptive system, all your, all your forecasts about the future, you just have to realize those forecasts are, are valuable, but they're nothing but models and models are inherently wrong. Yeah. And so a good financial planner will be, will be the best guesser you can find but they're still a guesser. They're guessing. Yeah. And so you still, that model is still really valuable. And, and this is where like, you have to be an adult about this because dealing with a complex adaptive system like money requires you to hold two competing truths at the same time. And one of them is the model is really valuable. We call that a plan. The financial plan is really valuable and it's worthless. It's wrong. We, it's wrong. And it's wrong. We just don't know how yet. Yeah. And so the only way to navigate a complex adaptive system like finding enough is to literally get really clear about where you are today. And then the literature says solve for the next local optimum, which basically means just take the next step. And so when it comes to enough, we just have to get comfortable with the idea that like, you know, we don't, you can't possibly know everything that's going to happen in the future. And we kind of have to feel our way through it, which sounds really funny when it comes to a spreadsheet calculator, a thing you thought was about spreadsheets and calculators. Like, should you use this money to pay down the mortgage? Should you use, use this money to take your kids on the trip you've been thinking about? Should you use this money to buy a new car? Should you use the money to, so you don't have to work overtime and you can coach your daughter's soccer team? Like those are both right answers. I know people who've made both of those choices and they have been correct for them. But if we had flipped it and forced the other person to make that answer, it would have been an incorrect decision. The only way to know the difference is build the spreadsheet, see what it says, and then Burn the spreadsheet and go, how do I feel? And realize you're looking for someone to tell you it's going to be fine and no one really can. So what a good financial planner will tell you is, here's the trade-offs. Here's what I hear you saying. This sounds more important. Do I have that right? And you know what? Let's take a next step and see how it goes. And I'm going to be here every step of the way. If the trail turns out that we needed to go left instead of right, we'll turn around and we'll go back. Like we got you. That's, that's how you figure out what enough is, is you just experiment and you try and you experiment. You get covered with uncertainty. You realize it's not about money. And it, it's, it's much more a spiritual journey than it is one with a calculator in your pocket. Yeah, I, am, I was so looking forward to having this specific conversation with you because um, I've had this conversation with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Brian Portnoy. Mm-hmm. And Brian's just, he, Brian's a great guy. He's done a lot of tremendous work on this as well. And it, it comes down to, you know, at least from a family standpoint is asking, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Which is what you just kind of noted on. Yeah. It's, um, it's super interesting. Just real quickly. It's super interesting to even like now, even with that, what does that mean? What do you mean? Okay. What, what would feel okay to you? And, and I think that's the right answer. Is my family going to be okay? Well, are we going to be okay? Is okayness 
based on something we heard in LinkedIn that you should have 10 times your salary? Or like, what's okay to me? And again, we've pointed to this. We know people who are totally okay and have almost nothing. I call those people wizards. Like people who figured this out, people who figured this out independent of money, independent of like, I know people who figured this out with lots of money. I, I actually know fewer people that have figured this out with lots of money than I do people who figured this out with less money. I know more people who figured this out with less money. But either way, I call these people wizards. I'm actually on the hunt for wizards because it's really fascinating. So it, um, yeah, it is a journey. And I love that question. What, what, what does it mean to be okay? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned those two dynamics because 10 years ago, I would have said the same. I would have said the opposite where you would have thought people with more money would have been able to figure it out versus people with less money being able to figure it out. But what I know today, I, I completely agree with you that you're spot on, that I, I see more people with less having, having this figured out, if you will, than, than those that have more. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's pointers to that in the wisdom traditions. Like money, it turns out money's hard yeah. to sort out. And I, th- I think it's the crux of the question. The word I love is sufficient. You know, do I have sufficient for my needs? And again, those are all loaded words. Like, okay, like what is it even, what's a need versus a want? Mm-hmm. For one person, an, an absolute want, something that's a luxury might be considered a, a bare necessity for somebody else. Like we have air conditioning is a great example, right? There's people, there's people in the world, believe it or not. How about a closet in every, or a bathroom with every bedroom? There, I don't know if anybody in America believes this, but there are people in the world that don't have that. How about a car for, you know what I mean? So yeah, so, yeah sufficient for our needs. What does that mean? So I just, I would just let that sit. I think that's, it's, and one thing to really be like kind of super patient and gentle with, with yourself and with your spouse and partner, that is a lifelong journey. Like, and just settle into it. Let that question, what does it mean to have sufficient for my needs? Or what does it mean to be okay? Let that just settle in, let it simmer, you know, talk about on a walk, and it's gentle. It's not, it's not meant to be, what does it mean to be okay? It's like, it's, it's a gentle question. It's meant to just work, work in you for a while. Right. This has been, I, I, you know, I could sit here for another hour and have these conversations with you, but I know uh, our time is not uh, infinite. So let me, let me bring, and I didn't prep you with this question. Normally I, I do, but no. my closing question that, that I ask all of my guests is, or, or obviously those that have, have kids and you've got four of them, is what is the best thing about being a parent? I, it's got to be, I, I don't really, I mean, what comes to mind is having a front row seat to like we we tried really hard and we're still trying to be pretty free have pretty free range kids you know really just like go do the thing figure it out and really tried not to have answers just to have better questions 
and now watching them even in the pain and maybe maybe it's kind of hard to say but maybe especially in the the pain watching them figure it out like and 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 it's obviously in process they like they don't have it figured out i mean we our two oldest you know everything works good right but we know like i think those moments where they call maybe that would be the best answer is like getting a phone call from your older kids saying hey dad i just need some advice like that's that's about as good as it gets for me and and they know they even like caught on at this point where i don't have any advice right like they are 10 times better more capable at making the decision that they need to make than i'll ever be but what i what they're now asking is hey dad will you ask me some of those questions you ask like will you help me figure it out and ha- getting that phone call that's probably the best so watching them figure it out figuring it out and allowing me to be a little teeny piece of the process, maybe just a facilitator in some point, that's probably the best thing about being a parent to me. It's been, it's been amazing this last year and a half and asking that question in the, in the depth and the, 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 the depth and the width of, of the question or the answers that people have provided. It's just been amazing. And yeah, it's um, a great question. Yeah. Yours, yours is right there on the top. So Carl, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us. Um, you know, I, I know the audience is going to really have a field day with our conversation. So um, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And uh, I, I, like, I, like I started the show, again, I can't thank you enough for, you know, the body of work that you've done, um, you know, for our industry and, you know, selfishly, you know, for me as well. Um, I just, I can't thank you enough. (laughs) Paul, thank you. It's a real pleasure. And on behalf of sort of all your listeners, thanks for the work you're doing with this podcast. It's, it makes a difference. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the emotional balance sheet podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.